Well, it, it is a pleasure to be with you uh, here again from the uh, Detroit Economic Club luncheon at uh, today, the Masonic Temple. And indeed, our first guest is uh, arguably the most important guest because he happens to be the show here today. He's the, the keynote speaker. He is United States Senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Sir, it is a pleasure and an honor to welcome you to the Paul W. Smith Show. Well, uh, being on the, par uh, on the Paul W. Smith uh, and uh, uh, Hall of Famer is uh, my honor. Well, God bless you for that. First, most importantly, how is Gail doing after her accident? Paul, very well. It was a very scary situation there, but the good Lord was watching over her, and she's got a lot of bruises, but uh, nothing permanent. She's good. Good. Very happy to hear that. You two have been... 56. Boyfriend and girlfriend, 56? 56. 56 years. That's spectacular. And might I add that the senator was born before I was yeah. and looks far <laughs> far younger than me. And at 77... I'll be 77 in August. I'm 76 right now, and I feel like I'm 40. Yeah, And you act like you're 40, which well. is why I'm against just arbitrarily saying there's a certain age where somebody can't be president anymore. That's just not true. Well, we're trying to raise, just give you a perfect example. We have so many of our pilots termed out at 65 because that's the law. Right. We're trying to raise that because these guys are still men and women who are still functional. They're on top of their game. And, you know, it depends on the person. Everyone's different. Everyone is different. So I, I, I got... I don't have a problem with testing people. No, to find I'm fine out. to be tested. <laughs> um, and and let's face it, uh, Donald Trump. What is he? Seventy six, seventy seven. He's seventy seven. He's a he's a year older than me. Okay, and of course the president is eighty five years older than me. He's okay, eighty two, eighty one, eighty one. Clearly, the president has been suffering some cognitive issues. I mean, that's not a put down. I don't say it gleefully. I say it just by watching. What do you think? Well, I think that basically age has something to do with all of us to a certain extent. We all have a hard time on sometimes memory recalling things of this sort that usually come like, you know, it's used to come like this with you. But uh, with that being said, I can only tell you this. I've been in his presence many times. I've been in uh, Donald Trump's presence many times. I have never seen what people are trying to say. Well, because of their age, they don't, they're not on top of their game recalling. What I would say is when you get older, sometimes people don't have the same drive and and commitment to where they're really pushing the envelope to get things done. You have to run your you have to run your staff. You got to run the place. You got to work it every day. When I heard you were thinking of running, yeah, and then heard you were not running. Mm -hmm. It's not because Gail was in an accident. No. That was just January. What was it that caused you to decide that you? A lot of people were counting on you running. Yeah. Well, I you know I I said I'll do anything. And everything I can for my country, because I really believe that both parties, the Democrat and Republican Party, have become two business machines. In Washington, D.C., you're not going to get them together. Their business model works much better if they're fighting each other and never agreeing, because they're forcing you to pick a side. Sixty percent of us live within the middle, what we call the center-left, center-right. Could be the grand old party, the responsible Democrat party, whatever. And right now, all the oxygen is being sucked out of the room by the 20 percent, the extremes on both sides. And they're getting all the attention right now. And people are just disgruntled with the whole process. And it's not going to change. The money is big. The business is big. And I've said the only way we're going to make changes is coming to Detroit, coming to areas where Americans live and have to make a living and take care of their family and let them know the power that they have if they'll just get involved. Change the primary process. Get better people involved. The character of the candidate that you send makes all the difference in the world. 
And if you're not given a choice or you're not able to get more, more people involved in the process, then the business model will give you something you don't want and you don't have any options at all. We're the best, greatest consumers in the world. We'll buy the best product. Just give us a choice. Give us a choice. And by the way, you're right about everything you said about the, the far left, the far right. And most Americans are kind of somewhere in the middle. Yep. And we are aware that there's an awful lot of time, money uh, wasted by just wanting to get reelected. And we get to a point where all the things that we hear Congress is working on have nothing to do with making our lives better. Paul, I finally come to the conclusion I have for about the last 10 years we need term limits. And I'll give it to you very See, I've not been big on term limits. Okay, let me explain you go this yours. to you. You do First that. of all, uh, why well, I came to the conclusion, I was giving a, a town hall uh, down in southern West Virginia about 10, 15 years ago. And there's a little lady, her name was Susie, and she's in the back. She stands up and says, Joe, I wish you were for term limits. And I gave her all the reasons why I didn't think they would work. You're losing some of the best people with the best experience and the best temperament to be in. Boom, boom, boom. I gave her all that. Yeah. She says, just think about this, Joe. If we had term limits, maybe we get one good term out of you. <laughs> she convinced me. I had no comeback. I had no comeback because I've seen. So I've come to this conclusion. Supreme Court, 18 years. One 18-year term, Supreme Court. President, one six-year term. Senate, two six-year terms. House, six two-year terms. I'm not going to argue with you at all. <laughs> you are the honorable Senator Joe Manchin, I, far be it from me. But here's my only quick reaction when term limits came to Michigan. Why would I want to arbitrarily limit who I can vote for? What if I've got a guy or woman in place that I think is doing a fabulous job? There's so other. There's we have to get rid of them? No. There's other positions they can do even a better job with the experience they've had. Think of this. I was in the House of Delegates. I was one of 100 in the citizen legislature in West Virginia back in the 80s. Then I became a state senator, one of 34. I kept looking at how could I be in a situation where I could help more people. One of 100, one of 34, I thought three times greater. Then I became secretary of state. Then I became governor, one of one. I could really help a lot of people in West Virginia. And then I went to the big leagues, I thought, to the United States Senate. That is the top of the ladder. I went there and thinking, well, yeah, I've learned how you work together and how you compromise, you make things work. Then the other side, if you have a D by your side, the uh, by your name, the R is not your enemy. That's a friend who might have a difference of opinion. Sit down and work with him as a friend. I agree. I went to Washington, Paul. Completely different. I went, thought I went back to Little League squabbling. Isn't it that just, the truth? It really bothered Little me. Little League squabbling. I like that. Well, and, you know, and these are bright and very bright, very intelligent people. And very well-meaning, I'm sure, but they got caught up in the business machine of the Democrat and Republic business model in Washington. I come to the conclusion we're not going to change it in Washington. So I'm going around. My daughter and I are working on Americans Together. This is a group that we formed, a, a, a pack that we're helping people. Did you say your daughter? My daughter, Heather. How great is that? Yeah, she's wonderful. She was the CEO of Milan Pharmaceutical, one of the largest chemical uh, ph pharmaceuticals. Well, congratulations yeah, to and mom and she, dad. She retired at 54, <laughs> and now she's helping me. Oh, that's fabulous. It is. That is. Did you ever uh, go hunting with our old friend, uh, though we didn't always agree with each other politically, but Congressman John Dingell? Did you ever go hunting with I John? I knew John very well. John and Debbie are dear, dear friends well, of mine. They're dear friends of ours as yeah. well. John is missed. Very but, missed. Uh, I know you're you a hunter. Hunter, yeah. He was a hunter. Are you still flying? Oh, sure do. I just got my physical again. I'm good. Another two years. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, I have. I've been flying. I got involved in flying in when I knew I was going to get drafted in the Vietnam War. 
1960, I went to WVU on a football scholarship. Yeah. And I was playing football in 66, had a good freshman year, and I got hurt really bad my knee. Mm. Couldn't pass a physical. So I thought, well, I'm going to be drafted, go to Vietnam. I'm ready to go. You know, just go do it. And then I took flying lessons. So I wanted to land on the ship and go out and drop my oh. ordinances and go. <laughs> oh, cool. But they never took me because I couldn't pass a physical. Because of the knee. Well, that's that's a long story. That, that is a good one. And it, it is a good one. And uh, what are you going to talk about today as the keynote speaker? Uh, just about life, about what we are and who we are and how good this country is and how much better we can do if we all get involved. Don't Man. take, don't be afraid to speak truth to power. Just be respectful when you do it. Sir, it's been a pleasure and a privilege meeting you and having you on this show. Thanks, Paul. Look forward to coming back with you. United States Senator, West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Many people thought he'd make a great president of the United States, but he took himself out of that race, and now he is heading in to the Detroit Economic Club here at the Masonic Temple, where he will be the much-awaited keynote speaker. Thank you again, sir, as we continue with Paul W. Smith in focus on WJR. Well, here we are, and happy to be doing our exclusive broadcast from the Economic Club today at the Masonic Wednesday, we will be at the soundboard from the Motor City Casino, and uh, looking forward to that, too. United States Senator Joe Manchin opened the show. If you missed it, you'll be able to get it. If you stream us at WJR.com, Alexa, and Google Home, or the podcast at TheGreatVoice.com a little bit later after uh, Rieger is able to put it online, which you, you can't do from here, so you'll do it later, Then we'll look forward to that. Uh, and we're looking forward to our next guest, who is a great guy, who is a licensed professional engineer, has served as vice president of academic affairs and provost at Lawrence Tech since 2020. He was the interim provost, the university executive vice president, research and economic development, founding dean of the College of Engineering, Business and Education at the University of Bridgeport, Connecticut. I could go on and on reading all these wonderful things, but I want to tell you that we are happy to have here on the Paul W. Smith Focus Show, the eighth president of Lawrence Technological University, who assumed office January 1st of 2022, Dr. Torek M. Sopa. Doctor? Pleasure being here. Thank you, Paul. Oh, Very no, pleasure. it is our pleasure having you here. And we haven't talked to you, and we haven't talked about Lawrence Technological University in a while, and shame on us. And let's make sure that you stay in touch with Dave Rieger, and with our people, so that we can get you on more often. Absolutely. There's a couple of things that you're in a unique position to uh, discuss, and I'm going to ask them. Uh, what role would you say that AI and the new technologies will play in the economy and the future industries? And is it anything at all that we should fear? Well, definitely answering the second part of your question is something we should not fear, but it is going to be transformative. We're talking about jobs completely being redefined. I mean, jobs like you know, radiology and, and reading of MRI and CAT scans and X-ray, all of these kind of activities are going to be done by incredible, very equipped AI expert systems, much, much better than any human or radiologist, for example, is going to be able to do. The whole concept of driving cars and, and mobility and autonomy is going to be a complete shift from what we're seeing right now. Uh, I'm not even talking only about, you know, uh, driving cars in cities, but I'm even talking about things like airplanes and 
and, and, and tractors when you're building a building, all of these things are going to be driven by AI algorithms that process sensor information. The whole idea of manual labor, people doing things with their hand for a living, whether it's in the service industry or on factory floors, that will go through an incredible paradigm shift going forward with things like humanoid robots that are powered by AI and Industry 4.0 the whole proposition of the need for manual labor in the workforce is going to go away. And, and that is nothing to fear because there will be a shift. Many of these manual type of jobs or labor intensive uh, uh, re requirements are going to be replaced by people who need to do the programming and the design of these other types of machinery who will do these jobs much more eff efficiently, precisely, concisely and comprehensively. We're, we're, we're going on to a brave new world, Paul. It's going to be very different, but very exciting and, uh, and, and much safer and much more efficient, I think. We look forward to that, but we do uh, hesitate a little bit because, you know, if you go online and how can you avoid social media at this point, you are led by some to believe that there's going to come a time when AI takes over and, <laughs> and decides they're a lot smarter than we are, and they're going to look at humans and say, gee, what, what good things have they done? Oh, yeah. um, and, and, you know, people f truly, because we don't know, we fear those things. So just back on track a little bit, give me a little bit more about what the jobs of the future will look like. Well, I, I mean... I mean, all of these scenarios about, you know, roaming killer robots, you know, who are going to take, <laughs> take, well. you know, take over the earth are kind of fascinating. But, but really, AI is the next calculator. I mean, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, high school teachers and others, you know, didn't want, you know, students to use calculators because that they thought these tools are going to be, you know, counterproductive to their intellectual development. Same thing with AI. It's just a new tool. And, and like any tool... You have to be careful how to use it, how to implement it, how to execute it, how to design it for the betterment of humanity. And we can always disconnect the batteries. Uh, well, <laughs> well, if it lets you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it lets you get close. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but but I, I, I think, and, and, I, and I truly mean this, I, I think AI and, and, and the rise, you know, of, of the jobs of the future and, and the way um, they will interplay into the future economy and make things either more efficient or safer or cleaner and better for humanity uh, is going to change the way we work. I think our work would be less manual. Uh, 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 the types of jobs that require limited cognition and analysis activity as are going to go away. You will find more design jobs, more jobs that require intellectual capacity and analytical capacity. And of course, the jobs that will, you know, uh, intrinsic knowledge within the different disciplines. So one can design AI algorithms for these particular disciplines, whether it's chemistry, whether it's biology, whether it's media, whether it's business, whether it's accounting so you will still need the content knowledge but the type of work within that particular discipline will be geared to making artificial intelligence and or other tools to solve the problems instead of solving the problems directly in a manual fashion dr Torek soba the president lawrence technological university with that thought in mind how are you and how should other educational institutions uh, react and how is it changing the way you teach your students? 
very different. Uh, I, I think the, the, the traditional approach of higher education in general, or even K-12 education, and the focus on degrees and degrees names, it's going to go away. It's all about skills now and, and interdisciplinary education. So the approach to education in the coming years is not going to be about graduating a biology major or an electrical engineering major or a communications major. It's more about educating the students in a certain set of skills that make them agile and able to lifelong learn new technologies as they go forward. So we need our students to graduate having technological skills, interdisciplinary skills, professional skills, and, and even global skills. And, and, and I think that is the kind of thing Lawrence Technological University has been doing forever. Our education is very experiential. It's very technological in nature. We are one of 13 comprehensive doctoral technological independent universities in the country. And, and we have always had more focus on training students experientially via co-ops and internships and in a set of skills that industry needs without necessarily confining our students to a particular major or a particular set of classes in a discipline and not providing them with background and many others. So it's going to be skill-based, it's going to be very interdisciplinary, it's going to be very global, very experiential, and more importantly, and, and as importantly, very research-focused. Well, I have to tell you, they should feel very lucky, and I'm sure they do, uh, with all of your experience, the uh, journals and conference papers and book chapters, in addition to 27 books that you have uh, uh, created, as the eighth president now of Lawrence Technological University, we uh, thank you, Dr. Torek M. Soba, for being with us, sir. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. It's been our pleasure as we continue in focus on WJR. And we certainly enjoyed uh, Senator Joe Manchin as our first guest today in focus. And you'll be able to hear that if you missed it later. When you stream us, uh, go to WJR.com, Alexa, and Google Home. And then to get the podcast of the entire show and certainly the interview with Senator Joe Manchin, uh, please go to TheGreatVoice.com, TheGreatVoice.com. It's not there yet, but it will be coming after uh, our broadcast. Another guy that we depend on on a regular basis, and for good reason. We're not the only people. I told you last week he was on Bloomberg News again, and uh, he is quoted uh, often by the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg News. I, I can't go through the whole list. And luckily he joins us, first started joining us in the mornings a long time ago, and now right here in Focus. He is the Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. He is David Sowerby. Hello, David. Paul, what a very generous introduction. Always great to be with you. Well, it's great to be with you because, well, because you are a straight talker. Uh, you don't try to uh, make us scared or make us believe drinking some kind of Kool-Aid that everything's fabulous. You are right there with what you believe is going on. Uh, do Balls you... and strikes, as I like to say. Balls and strikes. <laughs> That's right. You do. Balls and strikes. Uh, what... What is the current Fed interest rate? It's about 5.5% uh, for the Fed funds rate. Add three percentage points to it, and you get to the prime lending rate. If those are adjustable rate borrowers for small and medium-sized businesses. So it's, it's a little bit above equilibrium. We're likely to see sometime later this year, I'm not quite sure when, 
but the Fed begin to slowly, slowly reduce interest rates. So is inflation um, starting to be controlled? Is it really considered still high right now? What do you think? Modestly too high, but at a roughly 3% inflation rate, I'd prefer to see it with a 2 to 2.5% rate. Uh, what we're going through technically is called disinflation. Disinflation is when the inflation rate slows from, say, 5% to 3%. It's still going up, but it's going up at a slower pace. And let's never forget, for all the good listeners out there, inflation's a tax. takes away every WJR listener's purchasing power. That's the best way to think about why inflation is a problem. It's very hard to figure and to follow. I must tell you, David Sowerby with us, um, we keep being told that the economy is strong right now and that things are going well, that the Bidenomics is in fact working and all of that, and yet the average American doesn't feel that. Can you make some sense of that for me? Sure. In, in my career, I, I would contend that there are more cross-currents in the economy today than usual. That said, uh, growth rates for 2023 came in better than expected for real GDP, inflation-adjusted economic growth. 2024, now the number's going higher, at least the estimates, maybe a little better than 2% uh, based on the latest survey of the National Association of Business Economists. That's incrementally better, but I still think the probability of a recession is not zero. It's probably somewhere around 20% to 25% in 2024. We're not out of it yet. And average households are seeing it because while inflation rates are slowing, if you look over the last two or three years, inflation rates are still much, much higher when you think about groceries, uh, services, goods. That, that's been a challenge. It's just simply that it's a little slower pay rate of change but prices are materially higher than they were in mid-2020. I have to tell you, uh, I missed when this happened. I missed when we went from uh, being told by so many companies that we interviewed their presidents and CEOs, as we do here in Focus on WJR with Paul W., the, the people, I, I missed the transition from where we said there aren't enough people to hire to now layoffs. And so is it in my imagination? Are layoffs on the rise? What's going on in that area? Well, layoffs are increasing for companies that overhired, pockets of technology included. But, but the U.S. job machine is still intact. It's not, it's not increasing at the same pace, but we're still creating new jobs, unemployment rate below 4%. And, and what really matters more than anything is creating the right incentives to create the right outcome that comes from taxes and regulation. That, that needs to get better to make that American job machine flourish even stronger uh, because companies will find a way to fight through misguided tax and regulatory policy, and they are. They simply need more help by way of certainty, and that means – be more certain on the tax rate. Be more certain on regulation. All right. Now, I know uh, David Sarby has never claimed to have a crystal ball. 
even though he's been so right about so many things, I have challenged him on that. But, David, as Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora, i got to ask, do you believe inflation could rise again? Never, never discount it, never underestimate it. We saw in the 70s it was a problem because it was on again, off again. But, but I think for the most part we're, we're likely to settle into this roughly high twos, low 3% inflation rate. As long as the Federal Reserve is mindful of uh, money supply creation, that more than anything is what gives us high inflation. And if we can get the government to be more sensible on, on spending, that will lead to sensible inflation as well. You know, we had a situation this last week. I got caught up in it when my AT&T cell phone didn't work. And it wasn't just that I couldn't make calls and get calls. It was when I turned on my computer, our company makes, uh, you get a, a code sent to your phone, and it didn't come because it couldn't come. So then I couldn't turn on my computer and do my work for my radio show. So there were lots of things attached to what was going on there. And we were told that if we had a landline still, an old-fashioned landline, we'd at least be able to communicate with the world. Well, uh, phone companies want to eliminate traditional landlines. And, uh, I, you know, I, st- I don't have one anymore. I used to keep an old-fashioned plug-in phone for for power outages and other things because the phone line would still work, but I don't have that. Uh, and we found out just what it would be like if uh, one of our enemies actually created a, a bigger cyber war, cutting out our phones, uh, then maybe cutting out our uh, grid, our water supply. We ain't seen nothing yet, so there's a lot of concern in that area. Is it unfounded concern? No, it's a legitimate concern. If you if you dig into just how many cyber attacks there are, you'd be amazed. But at the same time, our ability to fend off those cyber attacks through U.S. technology, and we're still we're still the best by far of any country for 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 technology and the growth of it. I'm I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to run to get a landline yet. I'll have faith that. Uh, our cybersecurity in the end will will prevail. God bless you as always, Managing Director, Portfolio Manager, Angcora. We're lucky to have him, and we appreciate you, David Sowerby, always. We'll talk Thank again you, very Paul. soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. As we continue in focus with Paul W. Smith, broadcasting live from the Detroit Economic Lunch at the Masonic Temple, our first guest was Senator Joe Manchin, Dave Rieger will put that up online, thegreatvoice.com, the podcast uh, after the show. And I hope you'll listen in or listen in again if you can. Marie Osborne, right around the corner here on WJR. You know, when it comes to supporting your health, Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Michigan, and Blue Care Network are ready to help. They've been serving the people and communities of Michigan for 50, no, 85 years, 85 years, because they believe the right care starts in the community. That's why they partner with organizations on programs that encourage healthy lifestyles, address health disparities, and increase access to quality health care for everyone, such as supporting free and low-cost clinics across the state. Blue Cross is ingrained in Michigan, and when you're a member, you never have to travel far to access the care you need. With the largest network of doctors and hospitals, along with virtual care for both physical and mental health, you can access the care you deserve 
whenever and wherever you need it, bringing you peace of mind. Download the BCBSM mobile app, which provides members with instant personalized information and support to help track their coverage and claims, avoiding unexpected surprises. So, wherever you are in your health journey, remember this. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network are ready to help. And we thank all of the hardworking men and women of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and Blue Care Network, starting right at the top with Mr. Dan Lepp. 1244 at WJR. Am I, am I supposed to be aware of where that music came from with somebody going, oh, 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 oh? Usually it's, uh, usually it's recognizable, but to my, to my trained ears, I don't remember that. Marie, maybe you remember it. Anyway, uh, maybe, maybe no one remembers it. I don't know. Uh, you know, these are our little, uh, this is what we, uh, we use to come in and out of our breaks. And uh, and I I use it right now to look for my open uh, with Marie and uh, I can't find it here. I know it was here. I saw it a moment ago, but it may have disappeared because things like that happen to me. Oh, there she is on my computer. It's just a bizarre thing. All right, here we go. A Norwegian cruise ship with thousands of passengers on board is actually being denied permission to dock in Mauritius over fears of a possible cholera outbreak on board? WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne has the latest on this cruise crisis. Marie? It is indeed a a cruise crisis, Paul. The Norwegian Dawn has more than 2,000 passengers on board and 1,000 crew members. The ship was wrapping up a 12-day voyage from Cape Town, South Africa, Mauritius is an island in the Indian Ocean. When people, when the ship arrived there on Sunday, health officials said they boarded that ship and took samples for testing from about 15 people. Those people had become ill earlier in the week. The passengers have been isolated and test results should be available tomorrow. Cholera is an infection that causes severe diarrhea and dehydration. It's rare in the developed world, but it is almost always fatal if it's left untreated. It is among one of the deadliest diseases in the world. Now, this has been a logistical nightmare for travelers, as you can imagine. Officials say because of this quarantine, more than 2,000 passengers who were supposed to be boarding the ship for the next cruise to Madagascar in South Africa. Well, that trip's now suspended for the time being. People on the ship can't get off the ship to go home. The cruise line says it's heightened its sanitation procedures on board. And, Paul, there have been a number of cholera outbreaks in South African countries over the last few months. This is why health officials are so deeply concerned about this. I have never heard, it doesn't mean it hasn't happened, I've never heard of a cholera outbreak on Mm -hmm. a cruise ship. We usually hear about a norovirus outbreak. Right. And so this is uh, this is extra bizarre and frightening. Knock on wood, and I don't hope to, <laughs> to jinx myself, but I've been on a lot of cruises and have never gone through any of this. Now I'm a I'm a habitual hand washer. Have been since Grandpa Harry always said, "Wash your paws." So I've been a habitual hand washer with soap and water, which is the first line of defense against anything. 
And then I follow it up with the second line of defense, the sanitation things, you know, the uh, antibacterial mm-hmm. uh, gels and things that they have on ships around every corner. I use those too, although it's soap and water that works best. But this is just uh, crazy. 2,000 passengers, 1,000 crew, they can't land, if you will. And then all those people who are there to get on the ship mm-hmm. for the next phase of, of their uh, cruise is, uh, is just like a horrible crisis. Yeah, they don't have hotel rooms. They yeah. don't have anything. Right, right. They are trying to, the cruise line is trying to put them up in hotel rooms, but you know that there's limited, this is a small island, this is limited uh, where they can put people. And more importantly, you have to wonder how did they, how did these people, if it is cholera, they're supposed to find out tomorrow, but if it is indeed cholera, which I deeply suspect that's what, you know, they wouldn't have tested for that unless they had some idea that well, that's what it was. Well, really, they, they really shouldn't say that's what it is unless mm-hmm. they know for sure that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye. But they, um, I think they're deeply concerned about this, how it was picked up, how it was brought back on board. But right now it's uh, 15 <sighs> people that they're concerned about. Yeah, at, at least at the moment what they're concerned about, whatever. All right, well, you'll keep on top of that. We Let will. us know. A couple of quick notes here. Um, it, well, this has been long in coming, but uh, maybe this is the first time an actual date. Uh, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, she dropped uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel a while ago. Ronna McDaniel is going to leave her post just days after Super Tuesday. That's the very latest um, that we're hearing. Have you heard anything more? I mean, it's kind of a local story for us because right. it's local people. No, I've ju- I heard exactly what, what you've been reporting there, that that's... That's it. That's all that we have. Okay. Um, the other thing I see, I always look every Monday, I look forward to looking at Crane's Detroit Business. Well, every Monday I hope you'll look for my column in the Detroit News, but I also look at Crane's Detroit Business. It comes out every Monday. And there's uh, the Weed Racers, Harper Woods Cannabis Licensing Day, devolved into a foot race. Now it may turn into legal fights. There's people running up to, I guess, claim their license. I, I see someone falling in the street this is like bizarre getting a local marijuana license in michigan is supposed to be a competitive process but this is like out of hand out of control that might be another story you'll want to look into and it's on the front page of crane's detroit business today. right it's turned into a foot race well there's one on every corner you know there there (laughs) seems to be one on every corner now they're like gas stations or 7-elevens isn't that the truth uh-huh. The number of gas stations, 7-Elevens, and I'll use CVS because that's where I go. CVS is, um, there are pharmacies everywhere, too. Oh, yes. And well, on, on some channels, it seems like the pharmaceutical industry has a lock on all the advertising on those channels. Who knew there were as many <laughs> things wrong with us? Uh, that are, apparently, and we never had those things wrong with us until somebody came up with a drug for them. And it's also especially uh, important that they come up with a nickname or just use letters. Do you suffer from BMX? And, and you go, oh, my God, I what is that? Oh, I do suffer from BMX, which I think has something to do with bikes, as far as I know. Uh, anyway. Dr. Paul on duty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh I, I always wanted to be a doctor, but that's another story. I did play one on TV for a little while with Minds of Medicine. I wasn't really a doctor, but you know what I mean. Thanks, Riri. Thank you. 
Marie Osborne, WJR senior news analyst. And still to come, Mike Rogers running for Senate. We also have uh, David Dulio, professor of politics, Oakland University, and the one and only Roop Raj, anchor reporter at Fox 2. Stay with us. And I have to tell you, we are very uh, honored to be the only broadcast uh, company, facility, show that's been asked to be here repeatedly at these Detroit Economic uh, Luncheons, this one today at the Masonic uh, Temple. Uh, yes, we had uh, Senator Joe Manchin on, the Honorable uh, Joe Manchin, and uh, that's going to be on the greatvoice.com podcast later today. Thank you to Steve Gregorian for inviting us. And, and for that matter, again, this Wednesday, we will be at the Motor City Casino and the Soundboard. Uh, Rieger, who's uh, who's appearing at that uh, economic club luncheon? Do you have that off the top of your head? That's going to be the uh, head coach of the Red Wings. Uh, oh, so, yeah, coach so I've Lillard. got Anthony Bellino Correct. co-hosting. He's a brilliant young man right. who's now doing sports rap. Uh, and uh, and doing a great job. We hope to have some uh, very good Red Wings guests uh, during the first hour. You, yeah, you teased Wednesday. me with one when I first uh, came in, but don't right. mention any yeah, names. We don't want to. We don't jinx it. Yeah, don't don't jinx it. And uh, uh, anyway, very quickly, I hope you're streaming us at wjr.com, Alexa, Google Home. Uh, you check in with thegreatvoice.com. You can listen to the podcast anytime you want. I know you can't always hear me noon to two. You've told me. You, you've told me a million times, and believe me, I miss you. Uh, but if you can check in from time to time on the podcast, it does matter to us as you're on your way to making uh, each and every day count. Each day certainly is a gift. Did I thank Steve Gregorian? I think I did. Yes, thanks yeah. for having us. And, of course, our own Lloyd Jackson from JR Mornings, who uh, is doing now on a regular basis the WJR Business Briefs. So a good job uh, to Lloyd and, and good job to WJR for being a part of these very important Detroit economic uh, lunches, uh, and we're, we're happy for that. Coming up, uh, Congressman, uh, hopefully soon to be Senator Mike Rogers will be uh, with us. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, and I, whatever you and I talked about, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also uh, get Danielle involved and I, can your microphone go on, uh, Ray Templin? Can yes, I go on it the can. Air? Okay, good. So, but here's a story. You know, we come up with these little life lessons, and you you have to understand that I watch for these sorts of things. And for example, and I believe me, I would blow the whistle specifically on whoever it was, but I can't remember who it was. But it was one of the primary networks. And I, again, I don't know for sure who it was or or whatever. But as one of their factoids, they talked about yesterday, 150 years ago yesterday in 1870, visitors in the packed Senate galleries burst into applause as the first black senator-elect, Hiram Revels, from Mississippi, entered the chamber to take his oath of office. Now here I'm going to teach you a little lesson. They had that little factoid up on the screen. But they did not say if he was a Democrat or a Republican, which led me to know for a fact he was a Republican. But they didn't say that he was a Democrat or Republican because he was a Republican. Do you understand what I'm talking about, the way the primary institutional media steers news and stories? That is a part of the historical fact. The first black senator 
in our United States of America back in 1870 was a Republican. But that doesn't play into what the Democrats and the primary media keep pushing. So they left out what party he was a part of. And I went, oh, he must be a Republican because they didn't say. And I looked it up. And indeed, the first black senator 150 years ago, February 25th, 1870, was indeed a Republican from Mississippi. Man, now you know the rest of the story that's not being told by the institutional media because it doesn't play into their script of Republicans not being fair to African-Americans or anybody else. Now you know the rest of the story. All right, um, here is a story that uh, Dave Rieger is very excited about. Because Dave, you know, Danielle, you know that our friend Dave revealed on the air one day that if somebody does something wrong in front of him, cuts him off or whatever, what does he do? Uh, He's a yeller and he's also uh, a person who follows them close behind. Doing what in his car? Uh, What are you? Leaning on the horn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He He leans on the horn and he follows them. And you and I both have tried to talk him out of doing this. Yes. Yeah. Well, today, for example, um, Laith, my great friend, my brother, my driver, Laith from Metro Cars, we were at a red light that turned green. And nobody moved. We were second in line. Nobody moved. So he did what I say is proper. He touched the horn twice. He went beep, beep, just to remind the person to, oh, look up. Oh, yeah, it's green. I've been on my cell phone or I've been sleeping or whatever they were doing. He just went beep, beep. And I said, you know, Lath, that's the right way to do it. And when I told that to our friend Dave Rieger, our producer, he said, oh, no, no, no. You got to lean on the horn. Now, I think that's the wrong way to do it. I think that's very confrontational. And all you're going to do is get a bad reaction from the person that is in front of you. What are they going to do, not go? They're going to just sit there? Oh, I bet some people would. I guarantee you some people might just sit there because they're upset with the way you reacted. Do you not see the value in just going beep, beep, like just a reminder, light screen, time to go? Maybe you do beep, beep, and see if it does anything. And if it doesn't, then you have to enforce. Well, there's a there's a little movement. Maybe. Danielle. Maybe. There's well, a, maybe. Inroads. There's a, there's a little movement there. No way is Dave going to give it a little beep, beep. No way he does that. Well, he should. And uh, to prove that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, I try to prove that uh, often. Um, but anyway, I mean, with myself, I'm not putting Dave down here. I'm putting myself in that category. I'm an old dog, and I do have to learn new things from time to time. But there's a story in the news about a woman who honked her horn and by doing so broke a law. Give us the story, Dave, because right. you're anxious for this. Yes, so there was this, there's a California traffic law that bans honking other than to warn another driver about maybe going on a green light. So she got a ticket, and she took this all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and she didn't then, lose. And uh, She the, didn't lose. The Supreme Court rejected the case. Yeah, they chose not to hear right. the case. Correct. Uh, for uh, She claims that honking her horn is a uh, First Amendment right, but they didn't see that the same way. So uh, they have rejected her uh, case. 
of getting ticketed for honking other than to warn another driver. So, so. just another reason I would have to ask you seriously, why in the world would you choose to live in California? Well, it's interesting because... Is it because you love mudslides? Uh, is it because you love earthquakes? <laughs> what is it that attracts you to California? I don't know. My brother lives in California. He seems to like it very and you, much. And you refer to him as my successful brother. The successful brother, correct, yes. And I would argue all of yes. the Rieger boys are successful. That's very nice of you, yeah. I um, might put you third, but... <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, would, I would put myself third, so I, well, I'm, I'm yeah, fine You don't that. even put yourself in there. You are successful. But uh, similar laws, by the way, are in the books in 41 other states. So that you can't honk your for, horn? For, other than to just, you know, let them know, you know... Just, let, them, let them know the light is green? Yeah, exactly. So this is a, this is a, this is a, a law that's in a lot of states, not just California. You know why? Because there are too many people like you that lean on the horn for no uh, reason apparently, at all. Apparently, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> oh, there goes the horn. It's, you've started this well, across if, the country. If anybody's horn sounded like that, you'd, you'd have Let to lean on the horn. Let me hear that horn again. Uh, you'd have to lean on the horn. Ray, let's horn. hear it again. It's coming. It may be coming. He's our engineer. He's having trouble with his horn. He's... <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the horn? Okay. All right. We continue here with uh, our uh, congressman and dear friend, Mike Rogers, coming up next here with Paul W. Smith in Focus WJR. God bless uh, Mark Hollis. He's weighed in already on uh, Dave Rieger's driving, and he sent us a little meme of, uh, of, uh, of uh, two kids in little cars, and one is... <laughs> Beep, beeping and driving on the grass to uh, <laughs> to pass another car, which uh, could very well be a childhood picture of uh, David Rieger. Mark Hollis always has my back. I appreciate it. Well, he's kind of making fun of you. I mean, that's okay. I mean, so, I've been in the car with him, so it, it's true. So, so that voice, Ray Templin, our engineer, just told me a moment ago, just before we came on, that you actually have been in the car. Uh, with Dave Rieger driving, was it a harrowing experience? No, he just gets a little irritated. Well, I get a little irritated, too, but I've never chased someone down leaning on my horn. That's the scary part right there. Did he do it while you were with him? No, I just oh. heard about the nightmares. <laughs> okay, well, um, all right, that's good, that's fine. Um, I mean, these things happen, um, apparently, uh, to uh, to Rieger all the time, but uh, we f we feel that there is change that is happening, and uh, I, I I think Daniel Mason and I both feel good that we've affected a little change. Um, we've got the uh, primary tomorrow, and uh, what are we doing? Are we doing something special for uh, primary election day, or just reminding people first thing? Uh, well, we we aren't on first thing in the morning, so in the afternoon, just remind them to get out and exercise their franchise. There goes Roop Raj, just walked by. He's probably going up there to do his job right now, and then he'll join us. He's an all-round great guy. Roop is a great guy, and uh, and lovely Julie, his wife. Um, what are we doing tomorrow, Mr. Rieger? Well, we're going to have some obvious, uh, you know, people to talk about the primary and how it's going, working on trying to get uh, other people to talk about, you know, the process and what's going to happen. But I think we kind of already know, but... 
you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's rather incredible, frankly, the way things have been going. And uh, we we are not having Nikki Haley on uh, for a variety of reasons. I think the boys had her on earlier. They did, yeah. The All Talk boys, they've been working a long time. Good for them for uh, getting that. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, people have heard from Nikki Haley, and the, the reality is it appears that, I mean, can you imagine what it's like to lose in your home state where you were elected governor twice? That would be hard to handle, don't you think? 100%. So, anyway, she's in there for a reason. Someone is supporting her for a reason, and I can only guess. There are, you know, there are plenty of uh, never-Trumpers. There are plenty of Trump lovers and plenty of Trump haters. And the haters probably are underwriting her campaign just in case something happens to President Trump. Because at this point, seriously, if something happened and President Joe Biden dropped out or President Donald Trump dropped out, does anybody know what Plan B is for either party? Now, if you were to listen to Sean Hannity on Fox, he strongly believes in our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, being a very strong candidate for president on the Democrat side. But have you heard of anybody a uh, strong candidate on the Republican side? I, I, I don't know. Have you? No. So I, you never know what's going to happen. But there is a reason that Nikki Haley continues to be able to do what she's doing, which is continuing to campaign. She was uh, she was in town yesterday. I think she's in Grand Rapids today. I'm not sure. And I have no idea what, uh, what the crowds are like, whether there are crowds or not crowds. It'll be interesting because I suspect there's been a lot of uh, promotion for Democrats to go on out and vote for her um, instead of voting for whoever their Democrats are, uh, that they're not, you know, there are a lot of people who are withholding their votes to President Joe Biden because they're not pleased with the way he has handled what's going on with the, the massacre of civilians now, um, the Palestinians, and, uh, and people are upset, and rightfully so. You know, enough is enough at this point. Uh, what are you going to do, and how are you going to do it? So... Uh, we'll see. We are uh, dancing like we have to sometimes because uh, we have not heard from uh, Congressman Mike Rogers, and we're getting to a point where we're just going to be out of time, and if he calls in, it'll be too late for us to do anything with him. We wanted to ask him uh, with his experience um, as the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and all the other things that are going on uh, as as the military has presented uh, Netanyahu with uh, Gaza civilian evacuation plan. You know that the and I'd just love to get some backing from him to say that the reason this is taking so long and going on so long is uh, Netanyahu knows he's out once this quote unquote war ends. Which, by the way, <sighs> this war will never end. I'm sorry to say, this war will never end. You knew that. I know that. It just had to be said again. I guess. But what's going to happen next 
is that when it does not end but ceases to mercilessly kill innocents, Netanyahu is out because he will be held completely accountable and responsible for the attack. It's just the way it is. It's the way it's going to be. And there's not a heck of a lot anyone can say or do about it at this uh, point. So that we know. Our next guest coming up will be a distinguished professor of political science, the department and director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University. Uh, Professor David Dulio will be with us right after this. And aren't we lucky here at uh, 134 to have a distinguished professor of political science department and a director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University, Professor David Dulio. So nice to see you. Nice to have you on the program. Good to see you, Paul W. Thanks for having me. And very specifically, look, uh, we couldn't do it because we're out here uh, doing our show, but you just heard Senator Joe Manchin. Give me a, a takeaway or two from your learned view. Well, it was a pleasure to hear the senator from West Virginia and it, a couple of takeaways are um, I can see why so many people would be attracted to him as a potential presidential candidate. He talks about American politics. He talks about policies in a way that is different from nearly every other elected official in Washington. He talks about governing from the center, not governing from the left or the right. And I think that that is in in today's very polarized environment, that is a message that would be welcomed by by many Americans. You know, I have to say, um, as everyone just kind of filed out, our friend John Fickney stopped by, and he said he loved him. He said Joe Manchin was something. And I, when I was talking with uh, Senator Manchin, I was assuming, I swear I heard him say he was not going to run for president. He had made the decision not to run for president. And I used that as a basis of my conversation with the senator. And John Fickney just said to me, oh, no, no, Paul, he's running for president. I go, what What did I miss? <laughs> well, it, it certainly Senator Manchin did make that statement a couple weeks back that he has decided not oh, to. Oh, uh, God, I thought I was going <laughs> no, crazy. No, you, uh, you, you are remembering correctly. And he, he reiterated that point in the, in the luncheon meeting saying, I, I've already made my decision that he doesn't want to be a spoiler. Um, and, and, and you can certainly see that perspective, even though today in American politics, the, the appetite for demand for a, a third party alternative has never been higher. Uh, so the environment is one in which that, um, maybe never before in, in American history, at least modern history, have, have we had the possibility of a, uh, somebody outside of the traditional two-party structure being able to be successful but he doesn't want to be a spoiler right he doesn't want to tip um, uh, tip the scales to one side or the other uh, but never say never in american politics i guess even if you've said never right <laughs> you don't have well to. hey it wouldn't be the first time an elected officials oh, changed oh, his or her mind right is that, is that, is that ever the truth uh, we're spending some time with professor distinguished professor of political science Department and the director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University, Professor David Dulio. Nikki Haley just said at uh, her rally that uh, she she thinks Donald Trump can't win. She thinks she she would not run as his vice presidential candidate. And I think she said 
she wouldn't want to be a third-party candidate either, I believe. Yeah, it, 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 there's no doubt. It's a it's a tough go as a third-party candidate. It, it's always been tough. It will always be tough as uh, given the, the structures that we have in place right now. But, um, you know, I, th- I think Nikki Haley is uh, another one who – you know, might be attractive to a, a third-party organization. There's this group out there, no labels. That is, right, right. Um, that is, they say they're after Super Tuesday that they're going to assess whether or not they're going to push forward with with their quote-unquote unity ticket. Um, I imagine that they will, just because uh, the 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 choices of Trump and Biden appear to be locked in. Uh, and and you know, no matter what Nikki Haley says. Um, you know, her, her argument to be the GOP nominee would be much stronger if Donald Trump wasn't ahead in all the polling. Everywhere. Including here in Michigan, right? If So her election... This is a fait accompli in Michigan, isn't it? I mean, it would be wrong for us to think otherwise, that, that in fact it's not, the outcomes are not in doubt in Michigan at this point? In the in the primaries yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. It, it, this is the most anticlimactic uh, primary, presidential primary that we've had maybe ever. Wow. It's just there's there's no um, there's no juice to it, right? It, the, the 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 only story that really matters tomorrow is um, is uncommitted on the Democratic side, and if yeah, that's if a big deal for it, a lot of people, especially in Dearborn, absolutely, and, and in other places, saying because of the way you're handling the situation uh, in the Middle East, we're going to not give you support. We're going to be uncommitted. And there are there are high profile folks here in Southeast Michigan that are. Are, are pushing and, and encouraging folks to vote uncommitted, including uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib um, and, and others in her constituency. Uh, you know, the, the the thing to keep an eye on tomorrow, as, as results roll in tomorrow night, I guess, the um, is is how big of a chunk of, of the vote does uncommitted actually get? You have to be very strong, which apparently Nikki Haley is, and the people who are supporting her for whatever reason, if Donald Trump, stumbles, falls, goes into jail, whatever it is that they keep her alive. I can't imagine losing in my home state, that in the has, state where I was elected twice as governor. Yeah, it, it's got to be demoralizing, right? I mean, and, but but it's not like she didn't see it coming, right? It's, right. It, that's I mean, been, it's been, people have been talking about it for, for a long for time. For months, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And uh, it, it's, it, it's I, I give her credit for for. For, for keeping on and keeping on, right? I mean, she's she's hanging around, she's hanging around just in case, as as you as you mentioned, right? Something happens and Trump can't be the nominee, then she's got a claim to it. Professor David Dulio, we keep hearing that the road to the presidency must come through Michigan. So, what, in your learned view, what, how important of a role will Michigan play in the general election? This Michigan fall? is absolutely critical. Why? It, uh, because we have a, a we are a fifty fifty state. Right, we are a competitive state that is up for grabs uh, on uh, to, to both candidates. Uh, not to mention, if a third-party candidate, uh, I should say, an additional third-party candidate comes in, because we we can't forget about uh, RFK Jr., Jill Stein, Cornell West. Right, there are other alternatives that will be on the ballot, but it, it's going to be a very close contest in November with a lot of electoral votes at stake, and that is what's going to bring. Um, not only the candidates here a bunch of times, but just tons of campaign cash is going to flow into this state because they are both going to compete very, very aggressively to win Michigan. Well, um, it'll be fascinating, certainly, uh, to watch. If you want to know how much power this man still has, this man being Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, ask Ronna McDaniel. 
because he said she should be out, and she's going to be out. It, it didn't take very long either, right? I mean, the, the writing was on the wall for, for her, and, um, you know, again, it is the it, it demonstrates the power and, and influence that Donald Trump has in, in today's Republican Party. Yep. Well put, must be a great time to be teaching. Never a dull moment, never yeah. a lack of information or, uh, or or things to talk about. And, and I, I hope the kids are very interested. They are. Uh, what they are not interested in is Joe Biden or Donald Trump as their options for president, All much right. like many Americans. Professor David Dulio, Distinguished Professor of Political Science Department and Director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Oakland University. Thank you for sharing your expertise. We look forward to having you back again. We are closing out the show with the one and only Roop Raj, anchor reporter at Fox 2, all-round good guy. And he was the moderator at this great uh, luncheon today at the Detroit Economic Lunch at the Masonic Temple. Stay with us. I like this guy very much. Uh, always have since the first time I met him. And I might have been meeting you and your lovely, beautiful wife, Julie, was maybe with Sheriff Michael Bouchard. I'm not positive. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that was the first time we all hung out and actually chatted for a little while. And I think you and I have known each other. I've been in Detroit now for almost 15 years, which is nothing compared to what you've been. To, you know, you've been here for a long time. Uh, but I, as I kind of dug my heels into this market, I got to know you, and you were uh, kind right away. And and everyone knew, everyone knows Paul W. So it was always nice to get a a nod from you. Well, everybody knows Roop Raj, and and you should know this man loves Detroit. I met your father too. You did, who raised you so well. Oh, He's a wonderful, He's a good man. man. But Roop Raj has been approached uh, nationally, and uh, so far, thank God, knock on wood. Uh, he has chosen to stay in Detroit because he loves his job and what he gets to do that, let's face it, you wouldn't get to do on the national stage. No, I think, look, you know, when you talk about news markets or places where people do the news across the country, there are very few places like Detroit. I, I put, look, from the days of uh, your older listeners and people who are my age or older will remember Bill Bonds and, uh, and you know, them getting the, the first million-dollar anchorman at, at, at Channel 7 at the time, you know, they would get ratings that no one had ever heard of in New York or Chicago or Baltimore or Philadelphia. Until this day, even as viewers shift into new ways of watching news through streaming and connected TVs, the numbers in Detroit are things you just don't see in other places. Why? Because the city of Detroit and the people who live in our area, they love their local news media and they trust us, I think, more than the national media. I don't ways. know if I've ever said this on the air, but uh, many years ago, I, I wanted to work at WJR. I did. I filled in for JP. I did uh, Focus from Philadelphia. No one knew that, but I was in Philly. I did a weekend show for as long as I could, like two years flying back and forth every week to New York to work at WABC. But when I got to New York, I got my first phone call ever from JP McCarthy, mm. who said, Paul, what's it like working in New York? And I knew right away he had the same feeling that many people have. You've sure. got to go to New York right. or Los Angeles or whatever. And, and frankly, he wanted to host Good Morning America at yeah. one point. But I said, Joe, it's like being on the air in Detroit, but not nearly as important mm. being on the air in New York. Yeah. So John Gambling, who was the J.P. McCarthy of New York, worked at WOR, and I used to fill in for him. Yeah. If he walked into a restaurant in New York. No one knew who the heck he was. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody knew. I Even said, if they knew him. I said, Joe. You walk into a restaurant in Detroit, 
the whole restaurant goes quiet. <laughs> and if you hear anything, it's, there's J.P. McCarthy. Right. There's right. J.P. McCarthy. Sure. Joe, you're the king in Detroit. Love that. Embrace that. Yes. Enjoy that. Yes. And don't think it'd be better for you in New York. It sounds, Roop, like you understand that. You know, I and I'll tell you, you, you get it because you've worked everywhere. I mean, you've worked in the, the biggest market and you've worked in Detroit, which is, as you say, the most important market in many ways because of the listenership and the viewership and the eyeballs and the ears that you get here. You know, you can go make a product and go sell it and say you're in a big city selling it. But if no one's coming to your stand to buy the thing that you're selling, then it's really not that great because you have to live that life every day. I think Detroit's such a special place. And you know what? I'll tell you what. We are in such an important time in our lives with this political cycle and where we're at, both locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally, the stage that's been set. There's so much going on that right now people really want information, and they tune into you because they want perspective. They want to understand when they read the news, what does this really mean, and what what do people who you interview and you think about stuff that that's really important. So this is a great place. Well, it is, and uh, our earlier guest, uh, professor of politics, uh, Oakland University, Professor David Dulio, explained how, in fact, we've heard it, but the truth is the path to the presidency really does depend on Michigan. And that should make us all feel uh, good, but also responsible. Tomorrow is primary election day. Follow up, exercise your franchise. People died giving us the opportunity for the life that we are able to have now. But I want to ask you, you started when you were a teenager. I started when I was a teenager. You've been doing such a great job. Uh, Rup Raj, anchor reporter, Fox 2. Um, you were here because of your standing uh, as a moderator. And I, what was your thought uh, oh, by the way, the, the Senator Manchin uh, uh, conversation, Joe Manchin, Senator Manchin, was our first guest. And thanks to Brian Morton and Dave Rieger, they have it up now on thegreatvoice.com. So you can already go and hear uh, that podcast. But, Rupraj, you were up there on the stage. You were moderator talking to him. Give me some of your thoughts. Well, first of all, l- let me say this. Uh, this is a guy who what you see is what you get. And he's been really clear with that. Remember, in the 117th Congress, this is a guy who was in many ways, you know, outside of the vice president, the tie-breaking guy. You had 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. And even though Joe Manchin is a a Democrat, he was fighting the president, Biden. He was pushing back on legislation that he just didn't think was good for the country, was too costly, too expensive, not right. And he did it his way, And um, as Sinatra said. And and listen, here's the deal. He just announced that he's not going to run again. Uh, I I think, and this is, and I want everybody who's listening to, to mark my words, I am not saying that I support his politics or don't support his politics. I'm I'm just saying I wish we had like six more of him in the Senate right now that could be either Republicans or Democrats, hopefully split down the middle, where you have Republicans who can see what it's like to reach across a table and shake the hand of a Democrat and say, I am diametrically opposed to what you believe and what you think, but we got to figure out a way because we're both being paid by by by. Bill and Jane and everybody else who lives in middle America, we owe them this. And I think that there's uh, that we're, we've lost that in many ways. I think his point on stage today it was, look, you got so many people here who are extreme left and extreme right. You know, President Joe Biden, he's, he thinks it's too extreme left. This is the guy who's a Democrat, Senator Manchin. He also has worries about um, former President Trump. I asked him, are you worried that if former President Trump gets back into office, that he's going to go on what's known as a vendetta tour, where he's angry and he's going to go on a vengeful tear 
to not just reverse things the way he wanted them, but rather kind of take prisoners along the way. Uh, and he said, yes, he is worried about that. Uh, I then asked him about President Joe Biden. I said, you know, when you watch the reels on Instagram or, or Facebook, depending on where you are or TikTok or whatever you do, you see these 15 second clips and it shows the president not being able to know how to exit left or right off of a stage where the stairs are, how to sh- whose hand to shake, what to say. Right. I said, do you think that this is the same guy that we see that you see in the Oval Office? He said, no, I've had very wonderful, cogent conversations where I disagreed with him and I politically completely disagree with him. But I have not seen this in my experience was what he That's kind of what he said to us, too. But I took him at his word. And I'm glad to hear you say he said it again on this stage that he's not running for president. And my friend, John Fickney, a very bright consultant, came out and said, yes, he is. I go, what are you talking about? He told me he wasn't running for president. He goes, (laughs) trust me. He's going to be running for president. Do you agree? I don't think so. I think he he doesn't have enough support on the Republican side. He doesn't have enough support on the Democratic side. He is a guy who split votes. No, too many Republicans don't like him. Too many Democrats don't like him. He's a lone guy on an island, by the way, of diplomacy and political rhetoric that we used to see in the 80s and 90s and 2000s that we've lost. He believes in what he believes in. He sticks to his guns, and he hopes to get support. I don't know if he has it. Thank you for sticking around, Rupraj. I, you got the perfect situation. Mom and Dad can watch you. I went through that for yeah, years you know being it. on JR. Uh, you have a lovely life, a beautiful wife, Julie. Thank you. And, uh, and You do and Kim as well. We love seeing her and you. Well, we're going to get together again. We'll, Let's do we'll it. drag uh, Michael Bouchard back in. There, you go. there you go. There you go. Let's do it. We want you on more often, so we'll do that, all right? Look forward to Stand it. Stand by for news and JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. Go on out, make it a great Rest of the day. Regards, Paul W. Smith.